Well, I'm ready for spring. Aren't you? I am. I'm ready for warm weather, and I'm ready for the flowers in my yard to bloom. And that's one of the things that I miss about winter. I miss uh, the fragrance and the aroma of flowers. I've got some lilac uh, bushes in my backyard, and I know I'm still a couple of months away from those things uh, uh, blossoming, but I love the smell. And then after they fade, I've got a, a little couple of plants of roses, and, and they bloom, and uh, Uh, I just look forward to uh, those fragrances, the fragrances of the growing season. And you know, those fragrances, they're powerful memory triggers, aren't they? You can smell something and you can be transported quickly to another time and another place. Or you can uh, smell something and uh, just a memory can just emerge. And I mention all of this because today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that deals with fragrances and, and aroma and smells and a particular fragrance that has lingered for 2,000 years and we're here to talk about it. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. We have been in a series, a journey through the gospel of Mark. And we'll be concluding this journey at the end of the month. Easter's the last Sunday of the month, March 31st. But today we're in Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. And you'll find that on page 719 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please uh, take the navy blue copy in the pouch in front of you, put your name in it, and please receive it as a, a gift from this church family. Mark 14 says, Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, where the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. 
So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is God's word. Well, could you smell the fragrance in these verses, the aroma? Could you? Uh, The first aroma that I smell in these verses isn't the aroma of perfume. It's the aroma of food at a banquet. There's a banquet that's going on. Can you smell that food? That delicious food that's being served at the, at the home of Simon the leper. Who goes to a banquet hosted by a leper? <laughs> Can you imagine that, right? Hi, I'm Randy. Hi, I'm Simon. Simon the leper. Okay. Thank you. Simon the leper, really? Well, maybe he had leprosy. But he's hosting the banquet. I mean, he, he would not at present in those verses be there if he had leprosy. Jesus must have healed him. And of course, just the name happened to stick. What a conversation starter, right? Huh? Why are you called Simon the leper? You immediately start talking about Jesus. Not bad. But he's there. And he's obviously well-to-do because he can afford to have a banquet. He can afford to host probably 15 or so people around that table. So there he is. And that's, that's interesting, isn't it? So Jesus spends a lot of Mark's gospel touching the untouchables, touching the marginalized. Because when the kingdom of God comes, the kingdom comes as an invasion of purity. When Jesus touches the untouchable, the untouchable becomes pure. So much so that someone like Simon the leper is not only afforded the privilege to be around the table, now he's the host. And now he can serve. And now he can make a difference. And now he can be used by God where God has put him. That's grace. Grace isn't just a free ticket into heaven. Grace is, I have an opportunity to serve the king here and now. And so Simon is there, and he's got this spread. And, oh, if you read John's version of this story in John chapter 12, uh, Simon the leper is not the only one there. Martha is there. Martha, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're siblings and close friends of Christ. And Martha is there. And John chapter 12 verse 3 says that it was Martha. Martha was there and Martha served. And that sounds like Martha, right? Uh, Her love language is acts of service. Every time we see her, she's serving, doing something for someone else, actively serving. And so, and so Martha's there. And listen, every church needs a Martha. Every church. In fact, every, strike that. Every church needs dozens of Marthas, really. Because of the Marthas, the church coffee gets brewed. And because of the Marthas, the uh, church bulletins get folded. Those things don't fold themselves, you know. Because of the Marthas, the church babies get changed and bounced. And because of the Marthas, the church building gets built. And we often don't appreciate the Marthas until Martha's not around. And then all the Marys and the Lazaruses are scrambling, wondering where the keys are. How does a copy machine work? How do you, what's the, what's the code to the security system here? And Martha is, Martha's needed. And see, we often overlook the Marthas because... Martha's not in the spotlight, but just because she's not in the spotlight doesn't mean 
We shouldn't appreciate her. Martha's there, right there at the banquet. She's doing what she always does. She serves. Oh, and I mentioned Lazarus earlier. John's gospel also tells us that Lazarus was there around the table. Now, that had to have been an interesting conversation because, as you recall, Lazarus had been raised from the dead. He'd been in the tomb four days, which means he wasn't only dead, he was stinky dead. And yet there he is at the table. Imagine that conversation, right? How'd it feel? Dead. Well, what's that feel like? It's really hard to explain if you've never died. You mean I have to die to carry on this conversation? I mean, what happened next? Oh, I, I heard his voice. Whose voice? His voice. And he nodded to Jesus. You heard his voice? Right. But you were dead? Right. You're in the tomb? Right. You're in the tomb for four days? Right. How does a dead man in the tomb for four days hear the voice of another man? Can't. The dead can only hear the voice of God. I heard the voice of God. Excuse me, would you please pass the olives? No, I, just, I mean, this sort of thing went on, you know? They're reclining, reclining at the table. So they wouldn't have been seated around the table like Westerners do. They would have been reclining. They would have, been, they, they would have had a slower table, and they would have been leaning on their left elbow, and then they would have been eating like this. And there's Simon the leper showing off his baby soft skin. And then there's Lazarus, and Martha is, Martha is serving. And, and if, you know, if you just looked at verses 3 through 9, you might think that this was just a wonderful, pleasant, Bethany, blue sky banquet in honor of Jesus. And if that's all you read, you would think, what a very sweet blue sky event this was. But surrounding these verses, verses 1 and 2 and 9 and 10, are looming storm clouds sandwiching this Bethany event were dark, maniacal, evil people plotting to kill Jesus during this Passover. You see, Jesus is the eye of the storm and it's blue sky, but surrounding him are these storm clouds. And, and I mean, they're looking verse 1 says, for some sly way to not only arrest him and kill him, but they have to do it, uh, they have to do it, uh, you know, in a very sneaky way because you see the city of Jerusalem, this city which is, oh, almost a square mile area and a city that normally holds maybe 75, 80,000 people. During the Passover, Israel's most important holiday in which the liberation from Egyptian bondage is commemorated, 
pilgrimage is brought in up to, oh my goodness, in the commentaries I read, anywhere between 250 to 500,000 people cram-packed into that uh, one-square-mile city. And so, of course, you would have little outside communities like Bethany or, or Bethlehem or Bethphage. They would be these little suburban communities surrounding Jerusalem as this place would swell. Bethany was only about two miles away from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is just a couple of miles away from, from these maniacal, evil people who want to take him out. And part of the question has to do with what's going to happen next? Because Christ did ride triumphantly into Jerusalem and, and uh, then he cleared out the temple, didn't he? He judged the temple because of the absolute corruption that was going on. And then he debated the teachers of the law and, and bested them in in terms of their questions. And so now they're wondering, what's going to happen next? You know, is, is, is Jesus the new Moses? And this is the Passover? And will he triumphantly lead God's people into a new golden era of power, overthrowing the religious authorities and overthrowing the Roman Empire? What's going to happen next? What does happen next? Mark's gospel tells us. Jesus was there reclining, and suddenly he heard the bottleneck of an alabaster jar snap, and then liquid began to just drizzle all over his head and beard. Verse 3, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Who was this woman? Who is she? Well, John's gospel tells us it was Mary. Mary of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was Mary. It was her hand that held this alabaster jar that just began to drench Jesus' head. And then she goes along his body and then, then concludes with his feet. And then, and then she even lets her hair down and begins to sop up this very, very fragrant perfume with her hair. My goodness, one minute, this table of men are eating and drinking and chatting, and the next moment, they're just, they're just snare, staring and sniffing. I mean, my goodness, what is that all about? Now, now keep in mind, uh, it would have been very normal and a part of their culture for, say, a guest to enter a home and the guest would have their uh, dirt-caked feet washed and maybe some light cologne, you know, splashed on their face to sort of refresh the weary traveler. That would have been very normal. In fact, it's, that's very cultural even today. Sarah and I, uh, a few years ago, were guests in Turkey. And when we visited uh, the homes of our hosts, why, uh, we took off our shoes and uh, we cupped our hands and uh, we were given just a, a very uh, light, citrusy, lemony, kind of like cologne to splash over our hands and to kind of refresh us. And so that would have been very natural for that to have happened. But that didn't happen. This was over the top. This was, this was very expensive Perfume, and the scripture says, made of what? Nard. What's that? Spike nard. It's a, it's a very special plant root that 
was grown only in northern India, which means it would have been imported, which means it would have been very, this is in the days before, you know, Amazon Prime, two-day free delivery. None of that. This would have been very, very precious. This would have been an heirloom. This would have been something that would have been passed on from generation to generation. I mean, the alabaster jar itself was pricey. And then the contents... Uh, in our measurement, it would be about the 11 or 12 ounces, which is, well, that's a pretty large bottle of perfume even in our day, isn't it? Here, this was just, I mean, Jesus, this was over the top. It wasn't like Jesus came in and then was given a hot bath and a shower and then drenched with Old Spice, okay? That's not, that's not this. I mean, it, had that nard been sold They could have lived for a year off the proceeds. And so it would have been kind of a commodity that would have served as a hedge against a major economic meltdown. Something to be sold only when there's nothing else to sell. But here, it's gone in a matter of seconds. This this perfume made with pure nard. The best I can figure it would have smelled like one... Scholar says this rich red rose that's very, very, very sweet. Very, very, very sweet to smell. It's gone in seconds. And the aroma just overwhelms the house. And those at the table, my goodness, they were just aghast. Judas was the one who chimed up, according to John's gospel. What? What is all of this? Why this waste of perfume? There's Judas, the guy who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. But he wasn't the only one. The other disciples turned into Dobermans themselves, right? They were saying indignantly to one another. And then, verse 5, and they rebuked her harshly. This is the second time the disciples did that. Remember the other time in Mark's gospel when the parents wanted to bring the children to Jesus and then the disciples were rebuked the parents harshly? This is the second time these Dobermans appear and Jesus gets in the way. Knock it off. Knock it off. Hey, hey, knock it off. Leave her alone. Verse 6. What are you bothering her for? She's done a beautiful thing. Don't you guys get it? Don't you remember what Deuteronomy 15.11 says? You will always have the poor with you. They'll always be in the land with you. And you can, you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. And look at what she's done. She's done what she could with what she had. She poured perfume on my body. And then he says this. Beforehand, in preparation of my burial... And you could have heard a pen drop after he said that. And then he makes this pronouncement in verse 9. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And the banquet story ends. 
what happened next? We don't, I mean, we don't know what they said next. We don't know what they had for dessert. We just stops right there. But here's what we do know. We do know that there is a lesson that Jesus wants us to remember. And it's the lesson that we need to take home today. And it's, it's our big idea. All right? You can forget everything else. Don't forget this. Here it is. Every now and then. Every now and then, Jesus gives the opportunity to pour out an aroma of radical love for him. Every now and then, every now and then, Jesus gives us the opportunity. He gives us the chance to pour out, to empty, to break the bottle of radical love for him, and he is pleased when we take it. That's the truth. And what I want to do now is just kind of unpack that phrase by phrase here beginning with every now and then Jesus gives the opportunity. There's an opportunity here. I mean, Jesus is soon going to be dead. And if the disciples just didn't get this. I mean, they are around this banquet table and very soon how close they sat, how close they sat to Jesus and how clueless they were of the fact that he was going to be hanging very soon on a Roman cross. I mean, even, even at the... Last Supper, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom. They didn't get it. On the other hand, Mary got it. She accepts, she accepts the inevitability of Christ's death, and she makes peace with it. And she doesn't try to talk Jesus out of it, like Peter. And she doesn't try to swing a sword at a soldier, like Peter. And she doesn't say, I'll never abandon you, like Peter. She just knows that now is the time to show love. Now is the time. So she offers the funeral flowers while Christ is alive so that she doesn't have to once he's died. Is there not a lesson here about us? Taking advantage of those every now and then opportunities? Huh? Church family, isn't it true? The, the opportunity to express love is now. It's now. The opportunity to write that note is now. The opportunity to speak is now. The opportunity to say goodbye is now. The opportunity to give that gift is now. And the opportunity to buckle down academically is now. The opportunity to date your spouse is now. The opportunity to spend time with your children is now. The opportunity to come to Christ is now. Right now. Not tomorrow. Not the next day or the next. But right here, right now. Give us this day our daily bread. Because you're not promised tomorrow. You just are given today. This is your opportunity. What opportunity has God set before you that he wants you to make the most of, not tomorrow, not Wednesday, but now, today. What is that? Every now and then, Jesus gives the opportunity to pour out an aroma of radical love for him. To pour out, to empty, to respond to Jesus 
with radical love. See, whatever Mary is doing here, she's doing it in response to Jesus. She's not trying to deserve her way to the king. She's not trying to earn grace. (laughs) Hers is not, hers, hers is a response to God's grace, not an attempt to earn God's grace. And, and listen, we do not gather here each week because we are good. That's not why we gather. We gather here this week and next week and the next week. We gather here because we know who loves us. That's why we gather And what's going on here is a dear lady who in faith offers Christ her appreciation not only for what he's done in the past, but for what he's about to do in the future. I mean, think about it. Who, what kind of a person says, you will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me? Who says that? What if I said that? Yeah, it's laughable, isn't it? (laughs) It just just doesn't... This doesn't sound as good when anybody else other than Jesus says that. Because only God can say that. See, Jesus is putting himself even above the poor. And you know why, don't you? It's it's why this won't be a waste. Because you see, in a very short while, Jesus is going to go where only the poorest of the poor go. The cross. The cross is the way that leads Jesus into deepest solidarity with the poor. The way the kingdom of God is going to invade is not by calling the legions of angels down to overthrow the Roman Empire and defeat evil. No, Jesus is going to defeat evil by absorbing it in the poverty of his death. And so, stripped of his possessions and treated with contempt and excluded from society and then left to die, Jesus' death identifies with the most wretched people of the earth. He sympathizes with all, yes, and especially with the heartbroken and the suffering and the needy and the poor. This love that Jesus gave. We love because he first loved us. And and this is where we get to this word radical love, right? We learn what love is. Love is expensive. That's what it is. Love, love ain't cheap. Love is other-centered. And it's emotionally draining. And it can physically and mentally deplete you. And you have never loved a broken, guilty, hurting person except through costly self-sacrifice. You've never, you have never loved a person except that you have had to break your alabaster jar. Yeah. Love Love costs, and we wonder what makes it worth it, and what makes it worth it is that we matter to God, and that people matter to God, and if people matter to God, they need to matter to us. Radical love costs, and she gave it, and, and it's not just that she gave it, it's the way she gave it. My goodness, Mary broke every cultural protocol by what she did. Around this table, fellowship of men, 
this woman interrupts and she takes on the servant's task of touching and handling the dust-caked feet of Christ. And in that day, a Hebrew woman would never, ever let down her hair in public before a group of men. That was scandalous is what that was. In 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen, the apostle Paul calls a woman's hair her glory. So here, Mary places her glory at the feet of Jesus. Her glory is no greater than the dirty feet of Christ. Wow. And by the way, when such love is given in such a radical way, don't expect the world to approve of that. And don't even expect the church family to approve that, right? I mean, who, look who was around. It wasn't the chief priest that was around that table. It was the disciples. Why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Harumphing, right? How generous of them with money that didn't belong to them. You know, some Christians think that they have been given the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> right? Right? Why didn't you do this? Why not that? You should have. You could have. You spent too little. You spent too much. You didn't do enough. You gave too much. <laughs> you go crazy trying to please everybody. She didn't try to please everybody. She had one person to please. She had one person to please. Right? Jesus. And Mary loves Jesus. And, 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 and she's doing something beautiful. And the others don't see the beauty because they don't get what it is that compels her to do this. Jesus must die for her sins too. Hmm. Some of you remember this, but a couple of years ago, I was actually preaching on this passage of Scripture. And Right in the middle of my sermon, right about over there, Jeff, right about where you were, right about over there, right in the middle of my message, a young man all of a sudden pops up out of his seat and starts screaming at the top of his lungs. I love you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I mean, this went on for about a minute. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is different. <laughs> right? And one of you looked up at me, and we locked eyes for just a moment. <laughs> and I remember the look. And the look was, what are you going to do now, preacher? I mean, this is... <laughs> Remember? <laughs> this is going to be fun. This is... <laughs> I mean, this went on for about a minute. And so, you know, I did what any self-respecting pastor would do. I just started clapping, right? I just clapped. And, and one of our deacons, Chuck Dunham, he knew exactly what to do. He later told me, he said, while all this was going on, he said, it suddenly dawned on me, nobody here knows what to do. I know what to do. So he stood up, and he stood by this young man. And just like a father, he put his arm around him and just pastored him until 
that young man was done breaking his alabaster jar. And then after he was done, he just sat back down and was quiet as a church mouse. <laughs> wow. And I got to thinking, I got to thinking, you know, those who have been forgiven much have much to be grateful for, right? And that young man reminded me something about Jesus and his kingdom, and we need to be reminded of it, and it's simply this. The only people Christ allows into his kingdom are those who have once defied him. All of us here, if you're in Christ's kingdom, it's because you were a former rebel. So welcome. Yeah, welcome. Every now and then, Christ gives us the opportunity to pour out the aroma of radical love for him, and he is pleased when we take it. Mary's anointing Jesus for his burial will come back to her as what she did will always be told along with the spread of the gospel in memory of her, in memory of her. Think about that. Last week was the Oscars. Best picture, Argo. Best actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, Lincoln. Best uh, actress, uh, Jennifer, I don't know what's her last name. I don't even remember. Lawrence, thank you. Uh, best supporting actress, uh, Anne Hathaway. Wow, she has beautiful voice in Les Mis. Wow. Uh, the Oscars, I mean, $130 million spent uh, so that these names would be etched in the annals of history forever. Wow. What was best picture in 2003? Who's best actor in 2008? Best supporting actor in 2006? Oh, you can't use your smartphones. That's cheating. Oh, no. But you just proved my point, didn't you? Yeah. Don't even know. Don't e and yet, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her because Jesus said we would. Verse 9, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This, this woman responds with radical love and Christ says that this is going to be retold again and again and again in memory of her. Isn't that interesting? Not in memory of him. You see? You see that <laughs> memorials are for the dead but the burial of Christ is not the end, is it? It's just the beginning. 
And that's just one of several little twists in these verses here, right? I mean, there's several twists here. Why, there's the twist of insiders and outsiders. You see, we think that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they are the insiders. These are the the most brilliant people who should know who the Messiah is. And they don't, do they? They want to kill the king. But those considered on the outside, Simon the lepers and the Marys and the... Lazaruses, they are really on the inside. And, and oh, yeah, speaking about the table itself, you've got this little inside, outside, ironic twist about Judas and Mary. You see, you have Judas who sacrifices his faith for money, and Mary sacrifices money because of her faith. And so we've got this tender devotion versus treacherous disloyalty. We've got sacrificial faith versus scheming betrayal. And it's an either-or thing. And the implication is you are going to have to choose. Who are you in this banquet? Who are you? Are you Mary? Are you? Good. That means that you're willing to worship Christ. You're willing to break the bottle. Give him all that you have. And you're willing to risk the ire of a sister who often thinks she's the only one doing the work. And you're willing to risk the indignation of a table full of men who aren't quite sure if they can trust their own feelings when a woman lets her hair down in public. You're willing to risk the sneer of a betrayer who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Who are you? Are you, are you? are you Mary? Are you Martha? Are you in the kitchen overhearing this? How are you responding? How are you responding to Jesus here? Who are you? Every now and then, Christ gives us the opportunity to pour the aroma of radical love for him, and he's pleased when we take it. Thankfully, we have the advantage of living today, and we don't have to choose between Christ and the poor, do we? We don't. Because Jesus himself said that when we serve the under-resourced and when we visit the sick and those in prison and we mentor and tutor those young students who need mentoring and tutoring, why, that's as if Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so when the church goes out and as uh, dozens of you did yesterday at the empty tomb event, building cabinets for the under-resourced and, and, and when we go on the missions trips that Brian spoke about earlier or when we go to build that Habitat for Humanity house uh, for that family that we're going to be meeting here soon, when we do that, See, it's as if we're doing this for Jesus. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14 that then, you see, because we go out empowered by the Spirit of Christ, Christ, who was dead, buried, raised, ascended, enthroned, and he sent his Holy Spirit upon his people, now then we are his body and we bring with us the fragrance of his love to our community. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. 
Don't you see? Because of Jesus, because he was broken there, we can be his fragrance out there. And he calls us to do that. Not just doing church activities, but for some of you, even today, you're going to leave here and go to work. God wants you to be the fragrance of Jesus at work. He wants you to be the fragrance of Jesus in the neighborhood. He wants you to be the fragrance of Christ wherever you go. This sweet-smelling aroma of radical love. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to thank Jesus some more in worship. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here just showing our appreciation for what Jesus has done. And we're going to break, we're going to, we're going to break ourselves and give ourselves to him.